Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of It Starts With Attraction. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing ItStartsWithAttraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to ItStartsWithAttraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. This week on It Starts With Attraction. What do you do when your self-worth is completely tied into what you do or how you perform? If you're struggling with this, then today's episode will hopefully be helpful and cathartic for you because you're in good company. I'm gonna share with you a recent experience that I had with a very frustrating situation uh, that actually led me to really question my worth, my, my identity, and a lot of things. I'm gonna be pretty open and candid with you. Hopefully it'll bless you. Hopefully you'll find some hope in your situation based on some things that I learned from mine. Let's dive in. There's a process to falling in love, and it starts with attraction. Join Kimberly Beam Holmes and her special guests as they discuss how to become the most attractive you can be, physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, or as we refer to it, working on your pies. We'll teach you how to have better relationships and become more attractive to others, and maybe more importantly, to yourself. It starts with attraction, and it starts now. So growing up, I always had parents, my dad in particular, who many of you may know, who told me, you will do great things. You can do anything you want to do. He absolutely believed and still believes very much in me. And it's it's great. It's great. It has been an amazing blessing of my life to have a parent that has been that supportive of me my whole life. And I know that there are a lot of people out there who do not have that. So what I'm about to say may not make sense to some people, but it's been something that I've really struggled with for a long time. With those expectations put on me, from a young age, I I felt like I always had to perform. And it's not because someone told me I had to, but I put a set of expectations on myself that I have to do good in order for me to be good. Like I have to perform at a certain level in order to be loved. I have to achieve something in order to be good enough. I have to do in order to receive. Like me on my own, I'm not good enough. I have to perform in some way to get that that feedback. And it's something that, I mean, through the years, I don't know that I've allowed myself to really deeply think about and connect with because it can take me to some pretty uh, emotionally raw and vulnerable places. Um, But it definitely came up in a way I didn't want it to a couple of months ago. So I was in a fitness competition and trained for three months for this fitness competition and just, I mean, went for it. Had never done a fitness competition before, but uh, again, trained really hard, put my heart and soul into it. And I'm a very competitive person, a very competitive individual. And so the day of we get there and the bottom line of it is it did not go well. 
me and my partner that I was doing the competition with ended up placing second to last in the whole division. But there was one particular event that day that broke my heart and my spirit more than anything. And it was the second event of the day. And it was one where um, I would do the whole thing and then my partner would do the whole thing. So it was like a relay race. So I did mine and I, it was a bike. And then you had to do these 20 burpee get overs where we jumped over this hay bale. And then we had to go on a run and come back. And when we got back from the run is when we tagged our partner and then our partner would go and, and I would be done with my part of the workout. So I was the first one out of 20 people. I think it was 20 lanes. Maybe it was, maybe it was 10. Uh, however many it was, I was the first one off the bike. I was the first one done with my burpee get overs. I was the first one out the door for my run. And I was the first one done with my section of the event. And I was so proud of myself. Like it had been the one event I was the most nervous about because of all the running that was in it, but I had killed the time and I had gone faster than anyone else that was competing at the same time as me. Like I absolutely crushed it. And so even though me and my partner were behind overall, like I, at least with that one thing, I felt, you know what, like, at least I did this. Like I showed myself I could do it. I performed in the way that I wanted to, and I can put that under my belt. Well, after that event, I found out <laughs> that the run portion, so I was the first person out the door. And so I wasn't following anyone. And I, I found out that I didn't run the right way. Ultimately, I ended up cutting my run short. I didn't mean to because I didn't know, but I ended up running about almost 0.2 miles, maybe 0.1 miles shorter than I was supposed to run. And so my time wasn't right. And I was already emotional because we had poured our heart and soul into this, this, uh, this training for this whole event. And, and, so I was already emotional about the fact that it overall wasn't going well. But then the one thing I felt like I had done right, the one thing I felt like I could put my hat on and have pride in, literally the first thought that came into my mind when I realized that that I hadn't done it right was you can't do anything good enough. Mm. Every time I retell this story, like that's the part, <laughs> that's the part I begin to fall apart at because oh, like that is a story I have been telling myself for decades. It's not a fun place to be. And I know that there's several of you out there who probably are kindred spirits and saying like, yes, I have felt that. I know how that feels. And the example is silly. Like at the end of the day, a fitness competition doesn't matter. But the way that I felt about quote unquote, my failure <laughs> put me into a tailspin for days. The whole next day, I 
I just kept falling apart. Like it just kept falling apart, telling my husband about it, telling my small group at church about it, because it so fundamentally spoke to and revealed to me that I have been basing my self-worth and my self-esteem, which is incredibly ironic because this is literally what I'm studying and researching for my own PhD and dissertation. So like logically, I understand this. But emotionally, I haven't let it touch me or I hadn't let it touch me. And I realized like so intimately that my self-worth and my self-esteem was completely tied up in whether or not I could perform. That I fundamentally felt like I had no value by just being me. Again, like this is where I get emotional just saying these words because it's years of negative stories I've been telling myself about this. Um, but also because I know I'm not the only one that feels this way and has felt this way. And so I've gone through and I'm definitely by no means, clearly I'm still getting emotional about it on the other side of, of like, no, I have the completely healthy self-worth and self-esteem that are based in all of the most positive things. Um, that's where I want to be. But it definitely shed a light on, like, Kimberly, you have been basing your worth on the wrong things. Because at the end of the day, not I don't even believe. Like, if you were to ask me about any other person but me, I would never say that I put someone else's self-worth or how much I value them or how much I love them based on what they do. And I don't believe that... Most other people do that for me. <laughs> I have to say most. Um, I don't have anyone in mind when I'm when I'm thinking about that. But I know that as a Christian, like I know Jesus doesn't. And it's always been one of the hardest things for me to wrap my mind around because I remember being in Israel a couple of years ago and we were talking about the story of the prodigal son. And it was the first time in my life that I had heard that story of the prodigal son, which I've never connected to until I was in Israel, because I always thought like I would never, I would never do all of those things, right? Like I grew up to be like, I was told, be the good girl, you know, don't sin, do the right things, like always do the right thing. Um, I wasn't the one who snuck out of my house in high school. Like I... I was the one who always followed the rules and was the A student and was the shining star. And I based my worth in that. I absolutely based my worth and my identity. Like how I saw myself was if you perform, if you get A's, if you do well, if you're the good girl, that is how you get love. That's why people will love you. And I've told myself that through the years. My sister was the opposite. She was the rebel without a cause. She was the one who kind of went off the went off the deep end uh, and I love her anyway, right? Like I don't think any I it's I don't think any of us actually look at other people who are opposite or similar to us and judge them in the same way that we so harshly can judge ourselves. So it wasn't until I was in Israel and I thought, you know, I've never really comprehended this the story of the prodigal son but I can absolutely identify with that brother. And in the story, if you don't know it, it's, it's the story of two, a man who has two sons and one of his sons 
decides I'm going to go and ask my dad for my inheritance early, which is a total slap in the face because you the inheritance is what happens when the parent dies. And so asking for your inheritance to be given early is basically telling your parent, I wish you were dead. I don't want to be a part of this family anymore. So the dad gave this son his inheritance and he went and he spent it all away. So he went to this city, to an area who back where back then was kind of where all of the philandering and, and you know, undecency, all of the bad things would happen. It would be like, you know, the shady downtown area that he went to. And he ended up spending all of his money, squandering his inheritance, losing it all and going to rock bottom. And it was then where he said, the only thing I know to do is to go back to my dad. And he had written this speech in his head. You can go read it. I believe it's Luke 17. He had written um, Luke 15. It's in Luke. <laughs> and uh, he wrote this speech in his head saying like, I'm going to go back and here's what I'm going to say. But as he was walking up towards the city gates, his father saw him coming from far away. And I love this because it's this expectancy of a father waiting for their their lost son to return, waiting for the one that they love to, to turn back and to come back to them. I love the portrait of it. But what I love even more is that not only was the father waiting and looking, the father took off running to the city gates because he didn't want anyone else to meet his son and try and turn him away or throw him out or stone him or anything else. He wanted to be the first one to meet his son before any of the elders of the city could. So he ran, he got there first, he embraced his son and he kissed him. And he never said anything other than we're having a feast. We're having a party. My son has returned. Bring all of the best things out. We're going to have a party for everyone in the community. Come and celebrate with me. My son has returned. It's a beautiful picture of, of how God is to us. But it's this other part of the story where the brother who never left, who did all of the right things, who never would have said that to his dad, never would have done that. He was the golden child. He was the one who did everything right. And he turned to his dad and he said, dad, like, what about me? I've, I've been here for you. I've done everything you've asked. I haven't acted foolishly like my brother has. Why are we having a huge party for him? What about me? And it's at the end of this story in Luke 15, where the older brother just got irate with this and refused to even, to even go in to the party that his brother was going to be at. But his father went out and begged this brother to come in and celebrate with the return of the prodigal son. But this second brother, the brother who's always done right, he looked at his father and he said, all these years I have been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you've never even given me a, any kind of party so that I could celebrate my, with my friends. But when this son of yours, when my brother has come home and he squandered everything that you've given him, you give him the best that you have. And in verse 31, it says that the father said, my son, you are always with me and everything I had is yours. Everything I have is yours, but we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. 
He was lost and now is found. And as we were standing in Israel with a surrounding, with the city gates in front of us, just picturing what this would have looked like, we were prompted to think about how this is where the curtains close. If this was a play that was being cast on a stage, this is where the curtains close. And the question that is asked to the audience is, which brother are you? Are you the one who is coming back and and is being celebrated about your return? Or are you the one who can't seem to be happy for others that are that are putting your own goodness and self-righteousness as what is making you worthy and not realizing that both are worthy? Both have place, both have merit. Where are you putting your worth? And I realized I'm I'm the brother. Like I'm definitely the person in my life who's like, I, I can do everything right. And that's what I'm going to base my worth on. Because if I do it all right, then I'll get X, Y, Z, or then I'll get love, or then I'll be whatever. But that's not true. And even when we look at the research on self-worth and in self-esteem, which I've been doing for two years now, at least, maybe even three. We see that when people put their self-worth into certain contingencies, different areas where people base their self-worth on, when they put it in things like academic achievement or when they put it in things like finances or appearance, that they tend to have lower levels of self-worth than people who put their self-worth where they get their source of self-esteem, which self-esteem at its core is a person's belief about themselves. When people actually put that in their family support, in their virtue, their their character, their integrity, when they put it and get it from God's love, which is in the secular research, which which I absolutely love, those are the people who tend to have the highest levels of self worth, not the ones who are basing it off competition and appearance and achievement and success and finances. Those things over time and in the short term always lead to lower levels of self-worth because you're never going to be good enough for what the world is telling you is the most important thing. It's not. The most important thing is not success. It's not money. It's not appearance. Our bodies weren't built to be on the cover of a magazine. Those aren't the most important things. The most important things are the legacy of the relationships that you leave behind and of the relationship that you hopefully have with our Lord and creator, with the one who made you, who loves you so intimately and so deeply. This has been difficult for me to process over (laughs) ever since this happened in February. I really had to come to a reckoning with myself of it is not healthy for me to be in competition, at least not now, because it's so negatively affected my self-worth that for, again, days, weeks, all I could say to myself or see of myself when I looked in the mirror was, you're not good enough. But I was basing all of those feelings and that you're not good enough off of what the world is saying, 
not off what Jesus is saying. <laughs> and for those of you who are listening who who aren't Jesus followers, then it's not even based off of what the secular research is saying. Like none of what we're basing our worth on for the most part, at least for me, maybe this applies to you too, are the things that actually matter. So what is it that matters? And how do you move past putting your your value in in what you do? I don't know yet. I'm still trying to figure that out. It's still very difficult for me to to like wrap my mind around that, but here's what I have done. I've shared, of course, how I feel with my husband and people close to me, and I've had people that I love and trust and given them the opportunity to speak truth into my life, which has helped to keep me accountable. What does that mean? That means in my unhealthy way, I tend to just keep working harder when I feel like I'm not good enough and continue to run myself in the ground. What I I will tell you exactly what happened the Monday after that competition in February. It was so two days later, I was back in the gym doing heavy back squats that very next day thinking I'm going to show myself that I am good enough. Like I'm going to redeem this for myself. I'm going to prove to myself that I can do this. And I ended up badly hurting my back. (laughs) Because I was being an idiot. I should have taken the week off and realized my worth isn't in how I performed then or now. It's not in what I do. It's simply the fact that I live, that I exist. Like my kids don't look at me and care any about any about that. They care that I'm there when they get home from school, that I look at them and give them a hug, that I put my phone down, that I play games with them. My husband really doesn't care if I can back squat or or win at a fitness competition. Would he be proud of me? Sure. Is he less proud of me because I don't? Absolutely not. He loves me just the same. He cares that I'm taking care of myself. He cares that I don't work too much. He cares that I'm present and active and doing the things to reduce my stress levels and to have a healthy life, right? Like no one in my life cares about the things that I'm putting a lot of expectation on. They just care that I'm healthy, that I'm living in line with what God has called me to do, that I am resting, that I'm giving back to the relationships in my life. And that's probably what you care about with the people you love as well. That's what they care about for you. Your worth is not in what you do. If it's hard for you to hear that today because it hits too close to home, or if it's hard for you to hear that today because you're saying, eh, that doesn't apply to me, I encourage you to dig deeper. It probably is impacting you more than you know, leading you to overwork, to overwhelm, to overextend yourself in order to show yourself that you're worth it. And I'm telling you, you're a hamster running on a wheel. I've been a hamster running on a wheel, doing things, exerting energy for the things that ultimately don't matter. What matters? Your faith, your family, your friends, your legacy. That's what matters. Not your success, your finances, your wealth, your Instagram following. None of those things are ultimately what matters. What is it that matters to you? And how are you living that out 
on a day-to-day basis. I'm talking to you and I'm talking to me. Do you, does your daily life, does your daily life and your daily schedule, your daily calendar reflect what you want to value or is it reflecting or is it reflecting what you're trying to find your worth in? Are you there for the people who need you? And are you allowing the people that need you to be there for you? Because you need people too. I hope something from this episode has blessed you or given you hope, or maybe in some way just helped you realize you're not alone. If you're struggling with any of the same feelings, I hope, I hope I'm not alone, (laughs) but either way, Maybe sharing my experience with you has allowed you to find some normalcy in yours and open and create a conversation space for you to process any of these emotions or feelings on your own. I hope this episode has blessed you. Share it with someone you believe would need it. And as always, the best gift you could give me is a five-star review or any honest review wherever you listen to this podcast as it helps this show to reach even more people. Until next week, stay strong.